0: seven run? I want to talk to us a little bit about church culture, which is why I'm leaving my mask on for a second, because that's really what we're talking about, COVID and post-COVID. And, um, you know, it is so annoying. So why do I wear it? I wear it for love. I'm fully vaccinated, uh, as is my wife, but the vaccine doesn't work for my wife, and she has uh, almost no immune system. So It's as though she has not been vaccinated, and if she gets the disease, she's not going to do well. So don't judge me, and don't judge anybody else. And that's a part of the culture that we want to to reflect the heart of God and not reflect the heart of the world around us. This COVID season has changed the church. It's impacted our, our world. And it really is all about culture. And really it's a question of whether in the end our church is going to be more impacted by the culture of our time than the culture of our king and his kingdom. And one of the scriptures scriptures that teaches us is is it teaches us to love and not to judge. And so I just want to say know that he really means what if Jesus actually meant what he said? There's a concept, right? And what if we actually live this in a, in a way that just uh, that just is transformative and helps people notice, hey, this is the church that's doing something different and is actually being the church. So I want to talk about the culture of the church and what lies ahead. And I want to just say that there is a gap between. The culture of the church in the 21st century and the culture of the church in the 1st century. Between the actions of the modern church and the actions of the early church. Between the heartbeat of the church in America and the heartbeat of the church in Jerusalem. And so today we're, we're kind of on the second week of introduction to our series, How It Begins, and the it is the new beginnings, it is the new life of God, it is faith, it is growth, it is grace, it is hope, it is resurrection. How it begins in us is how it began in them. And so if you are in a place in your life, which I hope you're aware of, the place you are, but if you're in, in a place in your life where you know you need a new beginning, and all of us do, then I want you to know how it begins. I want you to know how it can start over for you. I want you to know how your, your heart can encounter the heart of God so powerfully that it burns with, with a new hope and a new fire and that your life radiates Jesus Christ no matter what is going on in your life. You see, something happened 2,000 years ago that transformed 12 unqualified disciples into world changers. These guys were scattered at the crucifixion. One betrayed, 11 ran. And yet a few weeks later, they are out in the streets of Jerusalem at Pentecost, pouring out the good news of Jesus in a world-changing kind of way that has echoed through time. The ripples of the pond of the work of God and their faith is still being felt here and now today. So how it began is how it can begin in us and for us in, in this 21st century. You're not stuck. We are not stuck as a church. This is a great opportunity for us to go back to the Bible and to look at the beginning in the book of Acts. And and to see how it began. And then to learn every day in a thousand new ways we can see how it can begin for us. Because you are not at a dead end in your life. In fact, no dead ends are final with God. And in the book of Acts, we see a new spirit and a new culture. We see a new attitude that is, that is so different than what we so often see in the modern church. I was recently talking with a friend uh, who um, is, is like a level nine leader in a level three job. You know, they just kind of reentered the workforce. Um, didn't really have to work, but decided to reenter the workforce and, and, um, and have worked at jobs, you know, making three or four times as much and having ten times the influence. And, and in this job, not making much, not able to do much influence, stuck in a lot of dysfunction. And, and their conversation was, you know, I, I think I really either need to be in a job that, that pays me according to, to my, my, my gifts and my talents, or I need to be in, in a passion job. And I loved what she said. I loved to hear that because that's true for every believer. That's true of the life of a church. What does she mean a passion job? It means that you are doing something that you believe in passionately. And the reward of that work is that you get to do it. That that you get to to do something that you believe in. You get to do something that that means something to you. You get to do something that you know echoes through all of eternity. That you know in time makes a difference in the lives of people. It is something that inspires you, drives you, invigorates you, gives you a reason to get up in the morning, and, and allows you to experience the joy of God meeting the needs of people. And when we look in the book of Acts, we see a group of people who weren't you know, stuck in church and, and attendance wasn't a chore for them. They were alive in Christ. This was a passion job for them. And we're going to walk through the book of Acts in the months to come and we're going to look at, at every page and we're going we're gonna to look how it began for them and how did it begin again for them and how, how did it begin again and again and again for them and, and what did they do with this, this challenge called life and this, this burden of pain and, and how did Jesus lead them so successfully through that the world is still marked by their faith. So I'm just gonna tell you, as long as I'm alive and as long as I'm here, we're not gonna lay down and die. These seats around you, they're not vanity expressions. We're not here to fill up these seats uh, so that we can feel good about uh, having numbers. We're here because those seats represent names and, and, and every name is a life and, and every, every chair is a story. Your story matters to God forever and ever. Your child's story matters to you, right? Come, come on, guys, I'm gonna draw you out, you know. Your, your child's story matters to you, right? Well, I'm telling you that every one of God's kids' stories matters to Him. And He wants everyone to know that they're invited back home to be his kids. And we're gonna be as passionate about the things of God as his followers in the book of Acts and, and dare I say, if we do this right, as God himself is passionate. Last week I told you that there were two realities that were just the bedrock of belief in the book of Acts. There were two things that were pivot point moments for, for these believers as, as they lived their lives. The first was the sacrifice on the cross and, and the fact that it proved the truth of God's love. This was real to them. It was historically recent. It was, it was on the minds and hearts of everybody. It was just weeks old and it was, it was not a theory. It was not ancient history to them. Now you say, well, if I'd have been there, it wouldn't have been ancient history to me either. Not so fast. You see, there was thousands and tens of thousands of people who were there to whom it meant nothing. There were people who saw Jesus died and were glad of it. There were people who watched him bleed and mocked him for it. So, so don't just say if you'd have been there, it'd have been different for you. No, 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 no. It, it took faith. It takes faith. And a believing kind of faith that, that, that changes us. In, in fact, the reality is that if you want to know how it begins in you, it begins the moment you believe in joy. It begins the moment you believe in a way that something old breaks in your heart and, and something new begins to dawn. It begins in you where, where suddenly the hope of God is, is not some word you know, that, that you've read in the scriptures, but it becomes a, a, a dawning reality in your own darkness. It begins in us, when we believe in a way that, that joy begins to break out, the, the glory of God, the, the power and the possibilities of God. And I'm telling you, these guys were able to do what they did, as some of them were stoned, as others were, were marched into Colosseums. And I wanna tell you, there were, there were a 100 different kinds of persecutions in the first couple of centuries for, for these believers. Many different kinds and under different, um, um, you know, uh, Nero's, under, under different local magistrates. But often, often in these persecutions, all it took was, was a simple signing of a document. Almost, you know, bureaucracy has been around for a long time. It's not something that, that we, we invented here in the modern world. And often, if you simply signed a statement that said Caesar is Lord, you know, then, then, then the, the local authorities would not bother you, and and you carried it kind of like you know your your driver's license or whatever. You know, if you got a right to be here, let me see your license. Have you signed this? to, to say that that Caesar is Lord and not 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 this Jesus. So, can you imagine? Okay, just imagine this. You have just been arrested. We're going to see in the story in the book of Acts uh, about a man named Saul who's going around doing exactly this, persecuting and putting parents into to jail, which meant their kids were, were, were just, you know, if they didn't have relatives, were off on their own. And sometimes the kids went to jail too. Saul's going around making it as hard as he can for as many as he can everywhere, persecuting the people of the way. Can you imagine being arrested this afternoon and thrown into jail, no trial necessary. You're thrown into jail and, and you're, you're already guilty and you're going to go into the arena to, to face uh, you know, some creative, ugly, evil form of death, whether it's wild animals or whatever, but you're going to die and your kids, uh, you'll never see them again and you will not see your grandkids and, and you're not gonna be there to, to help your six-year-old grow up. You're going into the arena But all you have to do is sign a piece of paper and declare that Caesar is Lord and you're free. And yet people would not because Jesus, because of what they believed about the power of God's love proven on the cross. Jesus died for me, these people knew. And they look back to that bloody cross and they say, there is the evidence of of love's win. And as it won in Christ's life, it will win in my life. And they never doubted these amazing, world-changing believers who became the hope of the world, the truth of God's love, because it was forever nailed in their hearts on the cross. And the second reality that was driving them to, to go to, to the arena, to, to walk through persecution, to live in a hostile culture. We, uh, it, it almost is laughable to me in America when I hear Christians complaining about how they're being persecuted. You don't know your history. When you're being chained and dragged off, you're, you're not even aware of what's going on in, in modern China. But these believers who are actually actively being persecuted and killed, just read uh, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 for all the ways that, that the writer there tells us that they were creatively killed. I'm not going to go into it because we have children present. What drove them? How did they go from being 11 dispirited believers to to this world-changing community of of people that grew into 5,000 in a day? They believed that the sacrifice on the cross forever settled the issue of am I loved by God? In spite of all my sin and all my flaws and all my, my failings, am I forever loved by God? The answer is yes. And every cross they saw was another yes and yes again. But the second thing that proved to them the the reality of of the the, the love of God, the truth of God was the resurrection of Christ. A lot of religious leaders have said a lot of religious things. Some of them are pretty wise, you know. I hear things that other religious leaders say and I think that is true. I agree. I can learn from that. But in Jesus. So how do we know who to follow? How do we know what's right and what's wrong? I'm going to tell you how you know. You know by an empty tomb. The resurrection of Christ proves the truth of his message. Every part of his message. And when you and I begin to believe that part of the message, which is particularly relevant to us in our hurting, in our pain, in our suffering, I'm just telling you there is, there is the birth of, of a new joy in our lives. There is, again, as the scripture says, the path of the righteous is like the first light of dawn shining ever lighter to the full light of day, the the reality is that it begins the moment we believe in a way that produces joy. There's a lot of belief that produces judgment in modern religious people. Well, that's from hell. There's a lot of belief that produces fighting and anger and, and, and cultural wars. Well, that isn't the Holy Spirit. But the believing where, where new life begins is a believing to where, to where like, like a tsunami on the shore, the joy of God, the hope of God, the, the possibilities of God begin to dawn in your life and you begin to hold on to them instead of your pain and your problems. And you begin to build your life around what God has said rather than what you just feel. And you begin to apply the truth of the words of Jesus to to all of the the issues of your own living and life, your marriage, your kids, all of the reality of your your struggle on earth collides with the reality of, of the gift of Jesus. And you begin to actually believe that what Jesus Christ said is true. Every part of it every part of it, the part that you need today, it's been true forever and will forever be true. This was so important. This resurrection reality was so important and so real, the backdrop for all of the living we're going to read about in the book of Acts. And that's why I say, again, I need you to remember these two things as we consider these people. Because this is, this is the backdrop of all of their, their life, you know? It, it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, um, a, a, a little kid walking up to a bully and the bully doesn't mess with him because behind them is, is you know, their, their six foot eight big brother. And as these Christians faced all the issues they faced, in their backdrop was the power of God's love and the truth of the resurrection and the reality of, of who Jesus was in their lives. Jesus is real. We can trust him. And, and I, I, I know that everything he said is true because he was dead and now he's alive. You know, the, in, in the book of Acts, it says as they were, you know, struggling how to begin again. How is this going to begin again for us? You know, we're scattered, we're defeated. We've had one of us publicly be, be a, you know, um, a Benedict Arnold. And, and, and how do, what do we do now? And so the scripture tells us that they, they came together and in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, they said, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time since the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The one qualification... For this new disciple, they were going to choose. And, and actually, I think they chose this guy. I think God chose Paul. But it was the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In John eleven twenty five, 25. I, I am the resurrection. There is no dead end for you. In fact, every dead end is is the the moment where you and I are faced with the inadequacy of self-trust and the possibilities of Christ trust. Every dead end is is not necessarily a dying down time and even if it is a dying down time, it is is a moment where you consider the reality of the resurrection and, and is God good enough to bring about resurrections in my own life? Does God love me enough to, to call me to begin again? And sometimes we need to begin again. Sometimes we need to start over. I don't want to split hairs. There is a difference between those two. Sometimes it has to do with how far back we need to go. <laughs> and sometimes we just need to start over from the beginning. And other times, you know, you just need to get up again. You know, you trip embarrassingly in front of a bunch of people and, and you're, you're lying on the ground there. Or you can sit there and start crying and pull out your tissues and and wallow, I guess, and ask somebody for a tent, you know, so you can be a little more comfortable in your fallen state. Or guess what you could do? You could get up, dust yourself off, you might even laugh, and you start over. In all of the things that are discouraging you today, in all of the things that are facing us as a church and a church culture, to share with this world the message of Jesus. What's stopping you? What's hurting you? What's weighing on your shoulders? What's keeping you from a joyful life? I honestly just want to say it really comes down to one thing in our lives. It's unbelief. We look at our lives and our problems, and, and they look so huge and so big, the problems, and, and, and therefore, if I'm hurting like this, God can't be loving me. Oh, no, 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 you just forgot the cross, which is why Satan doesn't want you to look to the cross, because when you look to the cross, everything else begins to fade out, and, and something different and powerful rises up in the name of Jesus. This is why he's the most cursed name on earth, because there's power in his name. And people react to that power in faith or in unfaith, in, in hatred. And when we look to the cross, we begin to see, wait, there's proof of God's love. And all of the bigness of our pain and all the things that seem like such a dead end and impossible ways to start again, they begin to shrink down. And, and, then, and then we remember you know, the, 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 the death of Jesus and, and the third day. And you gotta decide, do you believe it happened or not? I'm serious. Is this a fable for you? Is this some dead ancient story? You know, is, is quote, church life for you a, an underpaid you know, job or is it a passion project? Um, you know, your, your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, do you, are you begrudging in it or, or are you alive in it? Do you believe? Because I'm telling you, these people were energized by that third day experience. And your new beginning begins the moment you actually believe in a way that begins to produce the rise of hope and joy in your life. Now, I'm going to try to do something next that that has ended the careers of many preachers. I'm going to try to do something next that has has put many Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics to sleep, actually, in, in their gathered worship. I'm going to actually try to read 31 verses of Scripture. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> if this is my last Sunday with you, it's been really good. Thank you guys, uh, you know, on Facebook and YouTube for, for joining us. You'll still be my friends, even if all these guys leave me, okay? Maybe. Now I want you to listen to this story, which was the reality of the the experience of the early church in the book of Acts. And I want you to let us be as fresh to you by believing as it was to them by believing. Because remember, again, you could have been there during this time and seen everything that's described here and still walked away unchanged, unmoved, feeling unloved and uninspired. Thousands and tens of thousands of people did exactly that. But some believed and saw love and saw life and they rose with Jesus. On the first day of the week, Luke 24 says, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb And they found there that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body they were expecting to find. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, you know, in almost a humorous way, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he's still with you in Galilee? The words of Jesus are true and trustworthy. They can be relied on in your moment of pain, in your season of fog, in your hopelessness. You can trust these words for the new way to begin again. Then they remembered his words, Luke 24, 8 says. (laughs) And they remembered them with faith and the light was beginning to turn on in their hearts. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. At this time, the book of Acts tells us there's about 122 believers in Jerusalem, total, um, you know, for, for the rest of carrying the message of Jesus through the centuries. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and all the others who were with him who told this to the apostles. It was, again, uh, you know, please hear what I'm about to say because this is a positive, not a negative. It was a bunch of ladies and in this culture, ladies didn't get to deliver news. Ladies weren't believed. They were kind of treated like children, and children were to be silent, and, and they certainly were never to teach men or have anything to say to men that men needed to hear. Just saying. And so God uses them <laughs> to, uh, to, to teach men. But they did not believe the women. I told you I was setting this up, right? But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You're not getting it. You don't understand the reality of life. You don't understand the reality of what has happened. He is dead. We saw it. And we are hopeless. We had hoped he was the one who'd be the resurrection of, 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 of life. We had hoped he'd be the one we could pin our lives on. But, but that's all failed and he's dead and and. We're disappointed. This is nonsense you're talking about. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Something's happening in his life, and and he's getting ready to reconsider. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, But they were kept from recognizing him. I just want to say, I could preach here for months. But the same things going on in your life right now. Because Jesus is walking with you. Me, we just don't see it. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Listen to these words in Luke 24, 21. But we had hoped he was the one. But we had hoped he was the one. Have you lost your hope that he is the one? Was there a time in your life where you were alive in Christ and your heart was on fire and and you actually believed in a way that illuminated the darkness in front of you so that it didn't seem so dark and, and, and the walls and barriers that were in front of you, they were just opportunities for Jesus. Can you remember a time when your heart burned with a fire of faith? Have you lost your hope? I want to say that I believe that the modern church has lost its hope. It's lost its confidence. It doesn't live like love has won with an exclamation point through all of eternity. It doesn't live like our God is the God who handles, uh, you know, the biggest problems in the world like death with new beginnings like resurrections. It doesn't seem like we really believe all the words of Jesus when he said, take no thought for your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, because you know your heavenly Father knows these things and cares for you. And it seems like we've kind of fallen into this rut of, of ritual and this rhythm of, of habit that, that is not alive with the breath of the Holy Spirit of God that has that categorized people into two categories of professional Christians and then the rest of us who, who really don't have to do anything. And all that is so much from hell. You are the hope of the world. You are the unleashed love of God that has skin on in the world. Nobody else will walk your path today. Wherever you go, I will not be there with you. But Jesus will. The people that you see today, every one of those people, uh, there are people in your path that God is sending you to be loved towards. And, and if, you, if you go with the spirit of the modern church, you're just gonna shuffle along, forgetting what you heard this morning, nothing changes your life. But if Jesus and his love for you has awakened you and you're, you are stunned by grace, if you've recognized that the biggest problems in your life are handled by a God who turns the biggest problems into life, into the biggest opportunities forever, if you walk with that kind of God, then you are going to be different and you're going to be alive and you're going to be a threat to hell and a joy to heaven. But we had hoped describes so many of us in our disappointed modern Christian lives. It is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They came from the tomb early this morning. See how fresh it all was? But again, nearness in time does not produce nearness in heart. Only faith does that. So, they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Can you hear the joy in that? Can you hear the turnaround moment in that? Can you hear the power in that? And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things as he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself? Here's a, a quick aside. When I get to heaven, I want to I replay of that message. <laughs> I, I want to I walk along with Jesus. I want to hear how, how he unfolded the, the scriptures. I, I've studied them all my life with, with my, my half blind eyes and, and I, I want to I hear the truth in full. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. In other words, he was, he was just going to walk on. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. He had done this three days before with them. Verse 31, Luke chapter 24 says this, and this is my prayer for myself, for my family, and for my family. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Isn't that that ironic? How like God, he reveals his resurrected presence with an absence in an empty tomb. And the moment they, can, they perceive who he is, he disappears from their eyes because you don't need to see Jesus with your eyes. You need to believe him with your heart in a way that produces a life-changing joy in you, that, that, that hope begins to dawn, that, that the possibilities of new beginnings, you know, begin to arise in your life, that, that, that when you've fallen down, you get back up, that you start over again, that you know there are no dead ends that God can't handle. And then they ask, I love Luke chapter 24, verse 32. And then they ask each other, you know, remember we were talking about the passion project? Were not our hearts burning within within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? People, that's what happens when you have a New Testament faith. That's what happens when you deal with the heart of your feelings and you make a choice based on the truth of who God is. You see, Jesus leads us through hard things, but he never leads us to bad things. And I've confused that in my life so many times that it's an embarrassment. I'm not, I'm not qualified to be your pastor if we're going by that sort of success. Because I've fallen and gotten up and fallen and gotten up and fallen and gotten up and I'd be here another two days describing those things. Because so many times hard things have happened in my life and I've concluded that God is not good to me. Growing up the child of an alcoholic in a, in a family that, again, looked very normal on the outside, but on the inside was, was hollowed out and, and really pretty fearful, was hard to imagine a good God and a good, good father. And some of you are going through some pretty hard things right now. And in truth, if you were honest with yourself, you would admit that in the pain of the heart, you decided that God isn't good. And you've forgotten the thing that drove the early church. Lesson one, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross has forever proven his love for me, settled. Not my circumstance, the sacrifice. And then we forget the, the second thing. The resurrection of Christ proves the truth of his message. What did Jesus say that applies to me right now in this moment? Because he's the way forward. I feel utterly dead and hopeless. Okay. I'm the resurrection. I can't find success anywhere. I know. That's why I came. I'm I'm the life you're looking for. Jesus leads us through hard things, but he never leads us into bad things. And right now, in the hard things in your life, he is not leading you to bad. He is, he is leading you to, to a new beginning of experiencing his grace and being his love in a broken world. In fact, in Jesus, God's answer to every bad thing is, is life as the worship team comes out i'm going to i'm going invite you today in heart to to begin again to 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 go back to the power of the resurrection and to understand that 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 every Hard thing, every bad thing in your life, God has an answer for, and it's creating life. That's what he proved in the resurrection. Nothing this world can do or throw at you is, is an ending obstacle for me because I'm going to take it, if you'll give it to me, and I'm going to make something new out of it, something glorious out of it, something that, that draws you nearer to me, something that, that leads you home and, and allows you to live in my love. No dead ends are final with God. That's what the resurrection teaches us. So in the dead ends that you feel you're ended in, it's time for a new beginning. It's time to go back. It's time to experience, you know, first of all, the resurrection of believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not a church person, not somebody who's begrudgingly, you know, attending church once in a while. No, this has got to become not a passion project, but a passion life for you that begins by saying, yes, Jesus, I accept your salvation and your forgiveness. I ask you into my life and I I give my whole life to you now and forever to follow you and not me. It's not me anymore. It's all Jesus always. And then you follow him in believer's baptism and you grow in a body of believers. There's some of you here today who need to make that decision and you need to stop giving reasons why you're not going to follow him in faith and in baptism. You just need to get off off your backside and, and get it done. There's a lot of the rest of us here and, and online who, who feel like we're at a dead end and, and hope is in eclipse and our attitude towards God is bad and, and there is no energy in our living um, because it's just all too hard and too bad and too dark and I'm just telling you, Jesus... Resurrection. And it begins today, the moment you believe and let the joy of His love into your heart and your circumstance. When you believe like that, I guarantee you the joy of the resurrection is yours father I pray in the name of Jesus that today there would be a new beginning for us culturally as a church body but individually for every person who feels they are at a dead end who had hoped but is now disappointed secretly that they would recover, rediscover, refaith their journey, and see the truth of Jesus' love and the power of Jesus' life alive for them today. No dead ends, no impossibilities, just a resurrection that is happening, you know, forever and, and ever again in our lives as, as God, you do amazing new things in those who let you. God, today, my simple prayer is may we let you begin again in Jesus. Let's stand and let's respond.